This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I have back with me today uh, my friend, my co conspirator, my brainstorm partner, Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing. Lee, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here. People are going to start talking soon because you were just on like three or four weeks ago. So, But that's okay because we have a lot to talk about. It is end of FY or approaching end of FY, and we're going to be harping on messages that we have shared before, but they're important messages. Otherwise, we wouldn't be harping on them. So... For openers, what are your initial recommendations to your clients at end of FY? Well, uh, the way I think about it, Mark, is that this is sort of harvest season. You've been planting the seeds, doing your uh, prospecting and nurturing them throughout the season. And now is your last opportunity to really uh, harvest. So uh, I think it's a time to be specific, to reinforce the messages that you've planted and nurtured all year, and to uh, help people remember that you're there, and that you have the right vehicles in place, uh, and that you can meet needs. Yeah, you know, uh, sending out messages to agencies that don't use the contracts you're on is not probably the best way to uh, harvest it, end of FY, so. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, selling to to agencies that know you, love you, and use you uh, is a good thing. So focus efforts there initially. But what kinds of questions would you tell your clients to be asking? Well, I think the focus is really on this point is on needs that you can address. So understanding what they are. Now, uh, if you've been following your program all along, you probably already know them know what those needs are, know what some of the priorities, and it's a matter of what sort of thing in the end is going to get funded and is not going to get funded. Uh, And so that is a matter of understanding based on your best contacts, what's the best information on how you can serve them at that point. But it's not really the time for long-term thinking unless you find that some of the things that you were Uh, in a position to do, won't be this fiscal year, there'll be another time, in which case that should cue you up through, okay, here's the uh, outline of my plan for next year. Okay. We talked a little before uh, going on air, and you pulled some interesting things out of your recent growth study for professional services firms. So, Let's start with uh, a few of the marketing priorities that you gleaned for that. And first of all, give an overview, again, of the uh, of the study itself, please. Yeah. So uh, what we do, uh, Hinge has been doing this for a number of years now. Every year we do what we call a high growth study. We look at over a thousand professional services firms in all verticals and 
we look at what the firms that are growing the fastest, at least a 20% compound annual growth rate, what are they doing that's different than those that aren't growing? How do they stand out? And so this allows us to kind of look at it from the firm's point of view. Now, of course, one supplements that with other studies we do looking at the buyers and what they're looking for. But when you put these two things together, you really start to get a good feel for what's going to work, what's going to, you know, what's going to move the needle. And a couple of things are at the top of the list, Mark, and, and you won't be surprised at these. One of them is brand differentiation. You need to be, especially in this market, uh, you need to show how you're different and how you're better in a way that's meaningful to your target client. Give us a couple of examples there because so many companies lead with, you know, I have a small business set aside status. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I have something in, of course, a small business set aside, those things, they're very important in the overall scheme of things, but they're not the whole story because you're not the only one of the small business set aside. So uh, while that is relevant, that's not the whole story. Other things that might be relevant, uh, particular kinds of problems that you're adept at solving. Uh, you may think about that as prior experience. You may think of it about it as either technologies or processes that you have or capabilities that you have that are not widely available. Uh, you may think about it as a area of particular focus you have, a new way of approaching it or something. And that really gets to another one of the really top priorities, and that is content creation. They're looking for what kind of content can I create and why that is so important is that what takes that intangible, that expertise you have that sets you apart and makes it tangible. It turns it into something that someone can read or listen to and understand, boy, they really know a lot about the thing that I need. Yeah. And, you know, I want to point out here that Hinge develops and shares a tremendous amount of content, some of which is gated, i.e. you have to pay for it or yield an email address. But a lot of it's just on your, your blog and your podcast, a lot of stuff. I mean, I've keep 25 books on my bottom shelf on my desk and another 15 on top. So there's 40 books here. Three of them are yours. Why? Because these are things that I refer to regularly. The visible expert I refer to regularly. I generate a lot of content. Similarly, uh, I don't predicate mine on deep research. I predicate mine on experiential uh, activity plus the research I get from you and other sources, but same thing. And, you know, other consultants say, God, you give away so much stuff. Why do people need to come to you? Well, mm -hmm. the answer that you and I have come up with perpetually is there's always more and one size doesn't fit all. That's, that's right. And uh, there, I think there's always the assumption, wow, if I get this much just by reading what they're saying and what they're giving away, imagine what they must know. Imagine what they can do and imagine how they can help you. And that's what you're, you're trying to do is help them understand how you can help them. It's, it's really that simple. But if you don't do that, then they're left to what they don't trust, which is marketing collateral and marketing speak and those kinds of things. That's not where people 
look at and intuitively say, ah, well, that explains it. Uh, now they, they say they're different than everybody else. Uh, they got great people. So, okay, that must be true. You know, you know that that's recognized as marketing puffery and more or less ignored by most buyers. Uh, they look for something that's relevant to them. That's first. And they look for something that's insightful. And if you're relevant to the issues that they're trying to grapple with and you're insightful, you're most of the way right there. And that insight, as you pointed out, you know, that can come from a piece of research you do. That can come from your understanding of research that other people are doing, that you're sharing. So it's just as legitimate to be a expert by curating things as it is by creating completely new insights and ideas. And both of those are helpful. Yeah, but you can glean a lot from watching a particular company go through a certain set of processes and seeing, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, what needs to be replicated. You'll never see the whole picture because number one, you don't know what their goal was and you don't know what all the tactics deployed were, but you can see the overt tactics and you can get a feel for it. And that's such a great point. Mark, I'll share you a little story. It's not about government contracting per se, but I think it's very relevant. We had a client that, uh, was a a law firm and they were trying to get into an area that they had no experience in. And this area was mergers and acquisitions. It's a tough area to get into and you need to have done it to be able to get into there. And they had no, and they were puzzling over what can we do to demonstrate our expertise because we have the expertise to do it. So what they did, they came up with the, the notion of reviewing mergers that happened and doing an analysis of them. Why was this, why did this merger make sense? Why didn't it make sense? What are the things that might get in the way? What are the hurdles that they overcame to do that? And then they published those analysis. And two things happened. Number one, they started to get calls from the people that were involved in the merger. And they said, where did you find out all this stuff? (laughs) You know, how did you know? I didn't even know this stuff. (laughs) <laughs> so that number one, just by doing your basic research, there's a lot of information out there and basic analysis. And number two, the next thing that started to happen is they started to get called on M&A deals because of their deep expertise. So it's a perfect example of how you take something where you don't necessarily have the track record already, but you need to get into it. Your very thing you're saying about doing an analysis of what other people are doing providing a perspective on there, providing that kind of insight, boy, that really moves the needle for people. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it's what you do, it's what I do, but go back to Boston Consulting Group starting the strategy movement in the the late 90s, followed by McKinsey, Bain, you know, on and on. Mm -hmm. And now everybody does it, right? But not everybody does it well. Mm Mm-hmm. That's right. And it's something that is very enticing to a lot of firms because if you can get in on the strategy level, of course, you're more likely to be able to move into the operational and implementation level if you can help develop the strategy. But developing that requires a certain set of skills that you may or may not have. And that gets into this whole issue of your promise, your brand promise. Your brand promise. I want you to hold that thought because I want you to take the brand promise and that research side of things into the next segment. You're listening to 
Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with Lee Fredrickson. You can find Lee at hingemarketing.com, and uh, we'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here today with uh, Lee Fredrickson. Lee and I usually, when we get together, the inspiration flies because of the proximity. Fortunately, we're on a platform right now where I'm looking at a full screen of Lee and he's looking at a full screen of me. So it's almost like being together. We can see, you know, what's exciting one another. So hopefully that's conveying a little more in this conversation. So we left off kind of in the in the market research arena and that brand promise. So explain mm-hmm. the importance of the market research as you develop that brand promise and see if you can bring it back to this end of FY thing. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the the whole thing about a brand promise is it, it's really what you're going to deliver in terms of the client or the customer experience. What kinds of things differentiate you and what can you really deliver on? And you need to be able to deliver on those. So making an empty promise about what you're going to be able to do and then not delivering it that's the fastest way to have a dissatisfied client is negating your brand promise. So figuring out what that is. And if you know that, that's the kind of thing that you can hit all year long every year. Now, as you bring it back to the end of the fiscal year, that's the point at which you try to harvest on your brand promise. This is the thing we can really help you out with. Uh, and that makes sense. Now, you may find out that for reasons beyond your control, a project was deprioritized, and you may find out that it never goes forward. But, you know, you've created, by reinforcing your brand promise, you've created somebody who understands that brand promise. And when someone asks them, do you have someone who can help me deliver on this? And that is probably their most trusted source, their colleagues. And they know that, yes, you guys deliver on it. That's the key. That's one of the consistent things over your studies for the years, that referral, that peer recommendation factor. Yeah, and one of the things that's happened, Mark, is that as technology and people's habits have changed, the the concept of calling up and talking to a friend or going to lunch has kind of given way a lot to online interactions a quick email, uh, social media interactions as ways of gathering information more quickly. You know, I'm trained as a behavioral psychologist and not to sound cynical, but a, a way of saying it, you know, if you always bet on people being lazy, in other words, they find the easiest possible way to do something, you will typically not be wrong in terms of what's going to work. Yeah, that's the house bet. And the reason that is, is, I mean, there's very good biological reasons, actually. I find it fascinating that as organisms evolving in a way that saves your energy, so lazy is really a biological imperative, but your mom probably won't buy it when you're looking at your homework, or your client won't buy it when when you're looking at a deadline delivery. Take us back to that, that inflection point. Where, where the brand promise really leads. And, and tie it back to the study again, please. 
Yeah, what the key here is, is that one of the top things that people are looking for, their top marketing priorities of the high growth company, there's two of them. That is brand differentiation. In other words, your brand promise, what sets you apart and your content that allows you to convey what that is. And the thing of it is, is if you have strong brand, a brand promise, a strong differentiator, that makes it much easier to close the type of business that you're going to be able to do well at. You know, if you sort of contrast that to a different strategy and you say, my strategy is I'm going to try and get every piece of business I possibly can, no matter what it is. What you're going to find is that you're going to spend a lot of time servicing that stuff that you're not well suited to, and you're probably going to get a poor result from it. So you're not going to get good qual statements. You're not going to get the whole thing is not going to work out as well. However, if you would spend that same amount of time and you're focused on getting something where you can excel, that really uh, allows you to accelerate the process. It allows you to have more referenceable clients. It allows you to have better work. It allows you to have people who are more satisfied with the work they're doing because they're getting positive feedback with it rather than trying to rescue a situation that's gone south. Okay, so the research side, it can help you to refocus your business on an area of strength you may not have known was more important and help you develop the types of content needed to reinforce that, that your audience is actually looking for. That's exactly right. And and that's one thing that we really, uh, that really became clear. It's a trend that we, we were seeing that for some time that research is associated with faster growth. If you're doing regular research, you tend to grow faster. What we learned this year is that the way the high growth firms are doing it is two purposes to the research. One of them is it gives them better insight about their clients. So they know what the, better what their clients are looking for. They understand a market better. And the second thing it does is it gives them research to drive content, research that you can share on social media, that uh, you can put in a report that you can send to prospects, uh, that you can have that you can use as part of a blog post and an SEO strategy. So it's high value content and insight. So that kind of combination where you do one thing and get two benefits from it, that's always a good combo. Right. And I'm sure there are other tangential benefits as well, but those were the two that immediately struck me. And and if you're out there listening, you go, yeah, well, I kind of knew that already. We're here to reinforce concepts that you may think of regularly, but if you're not deploying them on a regular basis, you're going to start losing business, particularly at end of FY. Exactly. So let's uh, take that a little uh, slightly different direction, but kind of the same. We were talking about content creation. So what types of content come out of this? We have the standard white papers, case studies, webinars, you know, podcasts, blogs, etc. 
but um, it's not simply the type of content, but the content itself, if you will. Right. It, it is. I, I think one of the big areas that uh, some people might miss with that is the importance of research on social media. Uh, it's one of the things that by sharing research or sharing research findings, it's a great way to start a conversation or add a perspective to a conversation. So using them on uh, tweets, on LinkedIn posts, uh, in comments you do, uh, on comments of somebody else's things are great examples of doing those. Uh, you can also uh, go in the direction of things like uh, uh, you know, infographics, using them in compiled larger reports where you compile research from multiple sources and address a challenging area that you know your, uh, your potential clients are facing. So there's a number of things. We had one client not so long ago that didn't do any of their own original research, but instead they, they researched to figure out who are the top experts on this particular area of subject matter. They pulled the top experts together, got contributions from each of those top experts, and had something that was an extremely attractive piece of content that showed a great deal of expertise that they got a lot of credit for, even though what they were doing is pulling in other people's content and insights and organizing. Cool. Um, hold that thought. We're going to need to do this is going way too fast, man. Uh, we need to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. I'm here with my friend, Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing, hingemarketing.com. Go there, check out their resources. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Again, I'm here with Lee Fredrickson. Lee and I get together not frequently enough, but whenever we do, the ideas just kind of, of flow. And if, if you're not used to brainstorming with peers or finding, I don't know if you, you realize this, but in a way you're acting as a mentor for me as well. But if, you, if you're not brainstorming with people like this on a regular basis yourself, start. So um, content, content, content. Talk to me about short attention spans and content. Yeah, that's, uh, that's a great one because it's so easily misunderstood is that in many ways people do have short attention spans and that would, you would think that that would result in short content, but in actuality, the content that gets the most traffic and moves the needle the most is longer in-depth content. So we have taken to doing something which we call cornerstone blog posts. They're about three times longer than a typical one, and they go in much more in-depth. Think about it that way. And those are the ones that get the most traffic. So if you're really interested in a topic, it's something you care about. Uh, it's something that affects you directly, and you really want to know you'll be able to have an attention span to go in and look at something longer. And here's the thing. Even if the person doesn't read it, even if they don't read all of your thing, they, they'll go, wow, look at all that. Look, at they've covered all these things. I've got the parts that I'm interested in, but look at how much they know. This is an expert in there. But to drive people to that, 
do you use smaller bits of teaser content? I don't you, mean to call it that because we're still offering real ideas to get them there. Yeah, you do, but it is interesting. You can get a provocative thought out in relatively few characters or relatively few words, and sometimes a, a startling research finding or a, one that's counterintuitive or something that goes like, wow, that's really interesting. I want to know more. And that's kind of what you're looking for. You're looking for, think of it as kind of the headline of what you're doing. Yeah, I, I did an article once and I, I, I loved the title and it was called LinkedIn Can't Bake a Pie. <laughs> <laughs> and the point was it could do pretty much everything else. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you, you did mention something just a moment ago, Mark, that I, I want to jump back on. And that is the concept of brainstorming with other experts, with other people that you respect. As uh, you may know, we're doing a new study on visible experts and we're doing a round of interviews. And one of the things we're learning now about what's changed from about five years ago is that people are really getting a lot of benefit off the relationships with other experts. And it comes in two or three different ways. One of the ways is what you were alluding to, insights and ideas and kicking things around. I mean, if you're somebody who really knows an area and has something to say, I, I, you know, I dare you to be in a conversation and not have an insight or a new idea out of that. It's just not possible. I mean, no, it, every time you and I get together, even if it's a phrase, that resonates, you know, now you've got a title for a subsection of a book, an article, uh, whatever, but that phrase takes you in yet a new direction. Exactly. The second thing it does for you is these people become valuable sources of referrals. Uh, I cannot tell you how many referrals I've got from other marketing agencies. You know, if you run across something where it's not a good fit for you, but it is for somebody you know, you're doing your client a real service by referring them. And you gain a lot of credibility by making that kind of a referral. So uh, it's a great source of referrals. Plus, the third thing is just the association. You know, you associate yourself with other experts. You're seen by people as an expert. You hang with the experts. It's like the cool kids in high school. You know, you hang with the cool kids, they think you're a cool kid. Right. Well, if you hang with the nerds, you learn more. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I'm on a call um, a couple of mornings a week with, you know, anywhere from 20 to 40 other uh, government marketing professionals, the ideation calls for Government Marketing University. I had you speak on one of those recently. And I told them this morning, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about this is I'm a solopreneur. I've been in uh, a practice as a solo for 35, 36 years. Mm -hmm. So my ability to brainstorm with myself is like reading out loud. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and the cat is yeah, talking to my cat, right. <laughs> um, so when I have the opportunity like this, particularly in a setting like we're in right now, I'm looking at you, dude. You're right here on my screen. Uh, so I'm looking at a screen with, you know, a bunch of other people. Maybe I have to scroll down to see everybody. But it's a palpable thing. You throw out an idea and you got 15, 20, 25 other people bouncing in with their thoughts on that idea. This is cool stuff. 
it is. And, and it's amazing how, uh, you know, it is likely to change things and accelerate trends that already exist. I mean, you and I, we've talked many times about the, the move towards online. And we know, we've known for some time and, and also validated the, this, that organizations that get, generate more leads online grow faster and they're more profitable. Is there anything else you need? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, hose somebody down. Wake up, dude. This is what you need to do. Oh, I don't like LinkedIn. Well, you know, I, you know, I don't write. If you don't write, get dragon naturally speaking, or hire a freelancer. If you have ideas, they need to come out. If you don't have ideas, go to work for somebody else. That's sound advice. Harsh, but sound. Well, you know, it, yeah. it, it kind of is what it is. You know? Yeah, exactly. But if you're good at something, you have something to share. If you share it, you start to attract a little more attention. And the interesting thing is, not only do you attract more attention, but you attract the right kind of people. That's and, the key. Yeah, you, you were talking earlier about hang, hanging out you know, with, with peers. So you can dumb that down, too. If you spend your entire evenings and weekends, you know, watching TV instead of, you know, engaging with a little thought process, reading, writing, viewing webinars on the computer, something to stimulate your brain, it's going to be like high school. You know, you go to school from, you know, nine to three, nine to four and then you come home, you might do your homework for a half hour, and then you dump everything out of your brain. Boom. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, it's really interesting. That's, that's one of the things that we asked uh, about how do you keep your skills sharp, you know, as a visible expert? What, what do you do? How, how do you keep your uh, skills sharp? And if there's one thing that comes back loud and clear, it's read. You know, that reading teacher in second grade, you know, you should have listened. Yeah, or, the, or, yeah, listened and read. Um, yeah, exactly. Should have listened and read. It's one of the, the key things to keep your skills current. And reading and networking with uh, peers who you uh, trust and or you think uh, have skills that are important to that, boy, both of those things really pay off. Yeah, the, the books that I referenced earlier, three of yours are here. Hopefully I'll have the uh, – well, it won't be anytime immediately soon, but the new visible experts when it comes out. But that's not a stagnant, uh, you know, shelf. I have uh, three that are probably going to weasel their way on there in in the near term, and my problem will be the shelf is only so long, so I'll have to take something else. Here's one for you. One of the things that I read, I don't read it end to end, but I pick it up with regularity, is John Keegan's book. Uh, intelligence in war. Keegan is, he teaches at Sandhurst, which is the mm-hmm. British West Point. Uh, I'm not saying that for you. I'm saying it for everybody else. <laughs> but Keegan is a brilliant military scholar. And he goes through the history of intelligence in war back from the Persians, you know, Afghanistan, etc., and And understand, you know, why do Winning generals, winning commanders win more because they have better intel. It kind of says it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'd love that book, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. Lee and I will wrap up with some comments about how all this ties into end of FY right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on the Federal News Network. If you haven't figured out, I'm here today with Lee Fredrickson of Hinge Marketing. You can find Lee at hingemarketing.com. You can find him on LinkedIn, but there's no C in Fredrickson, so keep that in mind, please. Uh, <laughs> you have to spell it differently. Just, just you have, I know. What, what can I say? <laughs> what can you say? Uh, well, probably wasn't your choice, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so let's talk about some end of FY techniques activities. Do you encourage your clients to monitor competitors? Yes and no. Monitor to understand what they're doing, but not necessarily to follow. Uh, What I've found is that when you look at, you know, when you monitor a competitor, if you don't specifically know what you're looking for, you can as easily pick up a bad habit as a good one. And I've seen that happen too many times. So if you know what you're looking for, for example, you're looking at which keywords are they they getting traffic for and why are they getting traffic from those keywords, that's helpful. If you look at them and say, gee, all my competitors have blue websites, I think I'm going to have blue websites. And it looks like they need an eagle and a flag and a capital dome too. Yep. Seen a few of those, yes. Yeah, seen a few of those. So and I, I see them on LinkedIn too. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, this is my house, the U.S. Capitol. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Which, um, so let's talk about content distribution during end of FY. Preferred platforms. I would say first and foremost, uh, end of the year would be social media. Uh, it's immediate, it's, uh, uh, now it's current, uh, as you look out longer term, what's going to help you more is probably SEO search engine optimization to have it found, uh, long-term networking and a great website that's found. Uh, I think those are the big three that sort of form the foundation for uh, an online presence and a modern presence, website, SEO, and social. Should Um, all of your content be ultimately resident on your website? Not necessarily all of it, but enough of it. And uh, when I I say by enough of it, uh, I would say when I'm looking at content, uh, many times a sort of a 50-50 uh, breakdown between what's on your website and what's on guest posts or guest blogs is the right mix. On the other hand, if you have a website that's just getting started, it's not very good shape, uh, you're probably better off putting your good content in a guest post somewhere, like for an association or a trade journal or something, is probably going to get you more exposure and do you more good in the short term. In the longer term, you'll be better off by fixing that website and getting your SEO in order so people can find your actual organization without having to read an article, see who wrote it, and then follow that back. Okay. I did some research before we went on. I try to keep up with this, but it's kind of hard to find really good information. All social platforms have experienced a big spike since Corona hit. 
Um, LinkedIn certainly among them. Putting content on LinkedIn can be good, but the algorithms don't always work for you. So how can you hedge your bets here? Give me a few tips. Uh, I would say I would put my content on LinkedIn and with uh, enough, enough clues in the content so you don't have to put a link where you can tell people where it is because uh, we know enough that the algorithm on LinkedIn actively discourages you leaving the site. So links to outside sources in your posts will automatically hurt you in terms of overall traffic that sees it. So if you want to maximize visibility on LinkedIn, don't put a link. Uh, put your URL in text. Uh, you know, tell people where to go if you need more information, but avoid a link. Uh, I, so I would say that that's kind of number one. Uh, second thing is put a shorter version of it that, that fits the medium, that fits the uh, different variations, but have the core piece that you're referring back to on your own website, your blog post. And then have uh, a short a Twitter post, maybe a video somewhere, uh, a, a short article you've done, a guest article, all around the same content. That, that, that's the thing I think sometimes people get wrong, Mark, is that they think that all of their content in every channel needs to be completely unique. It does not. You can have similar kind of insights shared in different channels in different ways. You, you know, you put different emphasis on it. Uh, you put, uh, you focus on one part of it in one channel and a different part of it in a different channel. And that's the kind of thing that allows you to be very prolific for you to become a Mark Amtower uh, or uh, someone else who's very well known because uh, while they have a lot of good ideas, they, if it's a really good idea, they use it more than once. Yeah, well, you know, the, the thing, you'd be proud of me because last time we chatted two months or so back, um, we were talking about, uh, you know, guest, guest blogging and all of that. Mm -hmm. I've, done, I've done three podcasts with other people, uh, their podcasts, not mine. I've done four guest blog posts elsewhere. But each time I tell the person who's reaching out, I say, you know, I'm only going to talk about X number of topics. Mm -hmm. I, I will write you something that's different than I put on everywhere else, but it will contain elements of the same information. Why? Mm -hmm. Because this is what I know best. I'm not going to write about pink elephants because I don't know anything about pink elephants. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one, and that's one of the secrets, you know, know something and know it really well. And then, uh, you know, what, what you think may be just one part of what you know, maybe just routine to you is most likely uh, insightful to large chunks of your audience. You know, you, you probably get that reaction too. When I, when I wrap up a, uh, a LinkedIn session that I consider pretty basic, you know, people, I didn't know that LinkedIn could do that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, let me, let me go back to one other thing before we wrap up here. Uh, content on social with hashtags. Mm -hmm. Do hashtags work? Yes. Well, that's a good answer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> good, because I use them. How do, you, how do you know which hashtags to use, though? Well, you know, a little bit of research is helpful in that, understanding which ones are getting the, 
the traffic and which ones uh, and uh, avoiding hashtags that are so overcrowded that you're going to just get trampled in the stampede. Uh, so I would look for a hashtag that's uh, specific, but not overwhelming. Uh, the other thing you might want to consider with your hashtags is hashtagging other experts that you know that you want to comment on your, or you think it might be relevant to them. Uh, so I think those kinds of hashtags also work very well. Yeah, so, I, I like citing other people's work and then hashtagging them. Yeah. Because I know they're going to come in, and if they reshare the piece, my audience expands exponentially. Precisely. That's why it's good to hang around with the the other experts, because that that's kind of... They all have it, uh, you know, in their own area, in their own way. They all have that visibility. And, uh, you know, I, our experience has been most visible experts are very willing to talk, to share their expertise, to, uh, to be helpful to you. And it's really just a small minority of them that are kind of jerks. Um, <laughs> and, and you can kind of tell the difference as soon as you see them speak in public or even in private. It, mm -hmm. It's an attitudinal thing. Yeah. People who get enthusiastic quickly about their topic are going to start sharing. Mm -hmm. People who have that very reserved approach think, I know everything and I'm not giving it to you. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I got news for you, folks. One person doesn't know everything, and the more you share with your peers, the more everybody's going to know. That's right. So, and the more, more you learn, the more you teach, the more you learn. Yeah. And, and I said we were going to tie this into F, end of FY. Uh, we did and we didn't. Uh, all of these things apply to year-round marketing. If you're thinking you have to heavy up at end, end of FY, it's probably because you haven't factored in that year-round marketing effort. So your thoughts on that? So true. That's uh, the best time to market is when you're busy. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the busier you are, the better time it is to market. <laughs> Indeed. Lee, it's, it's always a pleasure, man. We'll, we'll get together again soon. And, uh, and that's it for today, folks. This is not my day job. Lee can be found at, at hingemarketing.com. I can be found at federaldirect.net and LinkedIn, both of us on LinkedIn. I'm still advising companies on all aspects of marketing to the government, but I focus really on, on three activities, developing that subject matter expert, visible expert platform, visible experts, Lee's phrase, content marketing, and leveraging social selling to tie these things together. So if that resonates, drop me a line at markamtower at gmail.com. And thanks so much for listening to Amtower Off-Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off-Center on Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 